Bada bing, bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon a Mystery, Baking a Murder episode. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in a while, but uh, we're back and we're here with a banger. I just want to say if you have two choices today, whether or not to watch this video or go read Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter, go read Pretty Girls by Karen freaking Slaughter. I think you should do a rating from now on. Okay. How did I look when I was reading this book? Was I engaged? How fast did I finish it? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're engaged, but I thought you wanted me to give a, like a score at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, how am I going to give a score on you? Because sometimes I get distracted when I'm reading oh. books. But this one, I was on that stupid yeah, yeah, green yeah. couch for yeah. like hours and hours and I couldn't even put it down. Yeah, 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 all yeah. of that, yes. But he's going to do a new review thing at the end. This is like, we're just making this oh, shit up God. as we go, okay? <laughs> so just watch. But I'm watch reviewing out. you though. I'm no. not reviewing the book. You're reviewing the book. And just know that this author, Karen Slaughter, is one of the twistiest minds I've ever read and she lives in Atlanta, Georgia. So, her last name is Slaughter? Yeah. Wow. Mrs. Slaughter, right this way. <laughs> okay, words can truly not describe how much I worship Karen Slaughter. She is my Beyonce. She is my endgame. She makes thrillers look like a kid's book section. I, okay, I can't write a review on her books because I'm not eloquent, but I read a Goodreads review that is so, it encapsulates everything that I felt while I was reading this book. And it just reads, I love any book that packs a punch. And this one really beats the shit out of me every time. <laughs> this book is so freaking punchy. So with that being said, I'm going to link all of that down below. Pretty Girls. She also has some really phenomenal books. The Good Daughter. Uh, she has a Will Trent series. which uh, The Will Trent series is already a series, like a show on ABC and Hulu. And The Good Daughter is being turned into a show right now as we speak. But she recently released another title, The False Witness. I heard that one gives you like whiplash, like just so many twists, so many turns. Let's get into it. Julia is missing. Disclaimer. I typically find these types of plots so freaking boring. I don't like it. I don't think it's fun. When a girl what goes, plot? this oh. is the plot and it's like every thriller plot. Okay. A girl went missing 20 years ago in a small town. Now her disappearance is back in question because another girl goes missing. Ooh, are they connected? What's going on? And then it's like, ooh, let's like compare the cold case with the new case. Usually, I think it's overdone. It's overplayed. I never get satisfaction out of it. This is the same one? Yes, and I literally almost died. It's so good. Okay, from the get-go, I was hooked. The book is split into three parts. And it's not like part one, part two, part three, but it's interchangeable, like chapter by chapter. So the first part, you have the father of Julia. Julia went missing 20 years ago, and this father, Julia's dad, is just struggling to cope with how she went missing. He's writing letters to Julia, because that's his way of coping and grieving. And he's telling Julia everything that he's doing to try and solve and figure out what happened to her. Mm -hmm. And we also see his whole family break apart in these letters because of her disappearance. Then the second part of the book is Perfect Claire. That's really all you need to know about her right now. Her life, well, okay, was perfect. But who's Claire? Claire is just another girl. She's a housewife, oh. a 40 year old perfect tennis housewife in the rich part of Atlanta. Oh. She's like the rich housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> like, I'm talking blonde boobs, like everything, Range Rover. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. okay. And then you have relatable Lydia. You know, she's the type of mom that we probably all see ourselves becoming. She's not perfect, but that's what makes her a perfect character. So with that being said, 
Let's talk about Julia's disappearance real quick while I make these Oreo sticks. Do I know what this is gonna taste like? Do I know what it is? No. Probably not too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I downloaded Shanghongshu. Xiaohongshu? Yeah, and um, it's a Chinese reviewing app. Yeah, but I'm telling you right now, don't download it because all it does is make you bake desserts that are not too sweet. I'm just mixing powdered sugar and butter together. Oh, I already feel like this isn't gonna go well, but that's okay because this book will save the day. <laughs> anyway. Let's start with Julia from 20 years ago. She's gone. She went missing, vanished into thin air practically. She was a college, a 19 year old college student at UGA in Athens, Georgia. If you don't know, Athens, Georgia is maybe like an hour or two drive from Atlanta, Georgia. And there's like really nothing going on in Athens, Georgia, except for the call. It's like a college town. It's a party city. Yeah, it's party city, yeah. college town vibes on crack cocaine. Yeah. Like it's really intense. So she went to a bar that weekend with her friends because that's what you do when you're at UGA. She had a glass or two of drinks, nothing crazy, okay? And at around 11 p.m., she starts to feel sick. She tells her friend Nancy, hey, I'm gonna head back to the dorms by myself and because we walked here, it's a campus town, I'm just gonna walk back. Wait, this is a UGA disappearance story? Yes. This is so close to home, it's freaky. Yeah, it's very freaky. My what? sister went to UGA, yeah. yeah. Oh, she did? Yeah, for a few years. Oh my god. Somewhere along that walk from the bar, the Manhattan bar, not in Manhattan, it's just called the Manhattan bar, to her dorm, she basically disintegrated into thin air and it expectedly tore her whole family apart, especially because Julia's parents had very different ways of dealing with her death or her vanishing, really. Julia's dad, he wanted to know. He's like, if she's dead, I want to know. If she's alive, I want to know. Even if it kills me, I need to find out for the rest of my life. Yeah. Julia's mom, maybe after a year, she's like, I think I've just accepted that she's dead. I don't need answers. I think any answers that I get at this point are only going to hurt me. Mm. I'm just, I, it's hard to move on. It's not that she loves Julia less. She just wants to try and pretend to be normal. Mm. That's all she wants. So for a long time, all they did was argue and argue about what was the best choice. But for a full year, they did everything. They spent their whole savings on PIs. They went to psychics. They did everything in the book. But it didn't matter because the sheriff in this case was confident in his own little fucking theory, okay? Which was... Did he have proof? No. Which was, he announced, she ran away. College girls do that all the time. What can we say? There's so many good book quotes in this book, but one is, your mother and I had always been secretly pleased that you were so headstrong and passionate about your causes. Once you were gone, we understood that those were qualities that painted young men as smart and ambitious and young women as troublesome. So he was like, well, she had some views, you know, she was very socially one way, so we think maybe she joined like a hippie commune and left. Damn, that was pretty good. Yeah, oh, she's got some crazy quotes in this book, okay? Now, since Julia was 19 years old, there's not really much that they can do. She's an adult. They tried everything, they put up their own flyers, but eventually Julia's mom moves on and Julia's dad could not do it. They get a divorce and he's literally killing himself trying to figure out what happened to Julia. In present day, Perfect Claire, random housewife in Georgia, we don't know how they connect yet, is sitting at a restaurant bar in Atlanta. She's waiting for her husband, Paul, Sure, they live together. 
Sure, they have been together for the past 18 years. They literally saw each other this morning before he went to work, but today was special. They were gonna meet up at this bar and act as if it was like their first time meeting, you know? It was a very special day. Claire had finally gotten off her ankle monitor. Yeah, rich, perfect housewife, casually on probation, casually just out of jail. We don't know why. Mm -hmm. But there's just a lot of uh, Claire that doesn't really add up, you know, to the rich preppy housewife stereotype. Like we, we figure out early on like something weird is going on with Claire. She also has a very creepy obsession with a recent missing case of a local girl on the news, 16 year old Anna Kilpatrick. But I guess it's not that creepy. Everyone in town is talking about her. No one can stop talking about her. So this whole book is in Athens? No, in Atlanta. Oh, it's in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. okay. Julia just goes missing in Athens, but all of it's ah, in Atlanta. Yeah. I see, I see. And uh, another good quote, she says, Karen Slaughter writes, 16 years old, white, middle class, very pretty. No one ever seemed quite as outraged when an ugly woman went missing. Yikes. Paul, her hot but not too hot because he's geeky but rich, architect husband joins her at the bar. And we learn that this guy has quite an obsession with theories, like he loves that shit. Even when Claire mentions, I don't know, like I know that I took off my ankle bracelet earlier today, but I feel like I still sense it, like my ankle feels heavy. Signal detection theory. Of what? Most people experience the theory with their phones. You ever feel like your phone is vibrating when it's not? That's probably what's happening with the ankle monitor. We just call him usually Mr. Know-it-all. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's a Mr. Know-it-all. And she knocks back her drink. But there's something strange about Paul today. It seems like something is bothering him. Because this is supposed to be a happy day. She finally got her ankle monitor off. But it seems like he, he doesn't want to talk about what's on his mind. So they pay their tab and they start making out on the way to their car. They're in their 40s, but they're acting like they just met. They've been married for 18 years. They can barely keep their hands off of each other. They're trying to make it to their cars, but before they can do it, he pulls her into the alleyway, into a dark alleyway, so that nobody on the busy street can spot them. This is very unlike Paul. Paul is a by-the-books character, and Claire is so confused. She's usually quite vanilla, and suddenly he's like, yeah, public, this is nice, let me take out my sausage. Well, he's usually vanilla. Yeah, and so is she. They're both a very vanilla, oh. like, rich couple. Oh. And then suddenly he's like, public sausage, whip it around, woohoo! Like, what is going on right now? He's also being super rough with her, which he usually never is. He's literally digging his nails so deep into her thighs that he's scraping skin, like it's hurting. But she kind of likes it, okay? And he tells her, tell me you want this. He spins her around and you know, he's about to, you know, when Claire hears another voice behind them. Don't move. Uh -oh. There he was, a man in a black hoodie, zipped below his thick tattooed neck. He was holding a knife. Put your hands up. Paul put his hands up, gave up his wallet, his $50,000 watch. He also gave up other accessories, cufflinks, wedding ring. And then it was Claire's turn, but she froze. She genuinely couldn't move. She was in so much shock. This has never happened to her. She lives a sheltered life. The robber was demanding keys, wallet, purse, jewelry, everything. The only thing that she did not give up were Paul's keys that she slipped into her back pocket. Somehow Claire was holding onto them. She didn't remember holding onto his keys when they were walking into the alleyway, but suddenly they were in her hand, so she just very sleekly slipped them in her back pocket. Car keys? Yeah, to the Tesla. Yeah, part of this book is like a Tesla ad. It's kind of interesting. So anyway, once the robber had taken everything, he looks at Claire with her skirt kind of riding up, and he realizes that there was one more thing he wanted. Paul notices, and he offers up more money. 
He's like, we've got money. Yeah, well, no shit. The evil man punches Paul square in the chest. He knocks him down, grabs Claire, and drags her deeper into the alleyway where surely no one is going to see her. And she's like fighting with all of her strength. She's like digging her fingernails into his wrist. And in slow motion, she turns around and sees Paul lunging at the man. And she sees something reflective slice the air. Oh my God. And then just so much blood. The robber lets go of Claire and she held Paul and looked at him and she was in shock. He's bleeding everywhere. He had been stabbed in the chest and she's crying and Paul is crying, but he's telling her it's going to be okay because that's what Paul did. Like he took care of everything. He was always the one that calmed her down. I know this book is very interesting. Okay, I'm going to get into it later anyway. He's the one that like calmed her down. He's the one that took care of her and in his last moments, yeah, we got a death. Last like, moments? 15 pages into the book, we got someone dying. In his last moments, he tells her he loves her and he will never leave. But that was a lie because he dies in her arms. And Claire is devastated. I mean, that's not even the right word to describe how she feels. They were college sweethearts. He was her life. He, he ran her life. She always depended on him for everything. All she did was play tennis and volunteer. She had no idea what to do anymore with anything or anyone. She felt like the shell of a person. But on the not so nice part of town, aka not as rich side part of town, there was someone who was jumping with joy at the news of Paul's sudden, unfortunate, and premature death. Her name is Lydia Delgado. A little bit about Lydia. She's the mom of a snarky teenager named Dee, and her whole shtick, Lydia's whole shtick, is that they, she's the opposite of Claire. We still don't even know how these women connect, but she's the opposite of Claire. Dee, her daughter, got into a private school based off of a scholarship that she entered, and not because she was rich like the other parents. Like every other parent had to make sure that Lydia was reminded of that fact every single day, which she didn't understand why. Like, what's the freaking point? She would snap back at them. Yeah, it's so sad that she had to be smart to get here rather than having money like you guys. So when that didn't work, the other moms just told her how jealous they were of her. You can just eat chips every day. I can't do that. I feel so guilty. What the <laughs> I haven't had chips in like three years. <laughs> Who talks like that? Yeah, basically calling her conventionally not pretty without calling her not conventionally pretty, basically. You think this is true though? Oh, I've heard some horror stories about these people. So schools. like she's obviously wealthy. She li lives in Atlanta. So I feel like there's some of that gotta be from real life. I think so. Experience. Yes. Who the hell talks like that? Oh, oh, I... Really? These southern moms do not play. So, uh, but the worst of the moms was this woman named Penelope Ward. She's a total bitch. Her, her husband is like a successful lawyer that's running for state senator. He's like the hottest, most handsome, most powerful, deadly combination at this school. And Penelope was like the perfect politician's wife. They were just freaking perfect. She would stare at her husband like a little dog, <laughs> waiting for his beck and call, okay? <laughs> Similar to Claire and Paul, but Paul is dead. Lydia doesn't know it yet though. Penelope sits down at the basketball game where all the moms are on the bleachers. Lydia, so what happened? So sad what happened, isn't it? I heard your daughter went to middle school with the girl that went missing. Oh, um, I wouldn't know. It was a lie. Lydia knew everything. She knew everything about that case. She had been spending all hours into the night reading up on the missing case of Anna Kilpatrick. Tragic, really. It's only been a week. They'll find her. Yeah, but imagine all the horrible things that can happen to a girl her age in a week. 
Penelope expertly transitions from the uncomfortable conversation to an even more uncomfortable conversation. My goodness, Lydia, tell me the story again. So you've been dating um, Rick for the past 20 years, but he's not Dee's father, right? Lydia, you're always so private about yourself and your family. We hardly know anything about you. It's like we're strangers. Lydia contemplated, either she can be evasive, but Penelope will surely come up with her crazier reasons why she's so private, or she can just tell her half-truths, half-lies, and get it over with, and Penelope will a thousand percent go tell the other moms, and Lydia would never have to go through this again. So the answer was clear. Dee's father, his name was Lloyd, he died in prison. He was on his way to Mexico to see his grandparents. Wait, he, she said in prison? No, this is her, the truth. She's not saying the truth. Oh. Yeah. He was on his way to Mexico to see his grandparents to pick up 20 kilos of cocaine. He was hit by a truck. He was found in a truck overdosing, trying to snort half a brick of cocaine. Dee never got to meet him. Thank the fucking gods. I was pregnant when he died. Oh my goodness. You poor things. No wonder you're so protective of her. <laughs> anyway, see you tomorrow. And Penelope leaves, and Lydia's like, what the fork, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, Rick sits down, takes her spot. Now, Rick is Lydia's boyfriend of nearly 17 years, and she loves this guy. He's kind, he's sweet, he has a criminal past, but so does she, okay? They both moved on, okay? They cleaned up their act like more than 20 years ago. Both of them are sober now, and he's helping raise Dee like his very own. And he was just always there for her. But today he sat down on the bleachers and it looked like something was bothering him. Something was on his mind. What's wrong? I was, um, I was reading the news. Three days ago, Paul Scott was killed in a mugging gone wrong. The funeral is tomorrow. Seems like the whole town is grieving. Lydia starts crying at her daughter's basketball game, right there in the bleachers. You okay, Liddy? Yeah, of course. More than okay. I just, I guess I just hope he suffered. Mm. Well, he's dead. So the only people now suffering are his loved ones like Claire, who just watched her husband get buried and she felt like the entire time she wasn't even in her own body. Now she's in the back of a black limousine. Who the fuck rides limos anymore? This is like her first time. It's like a thing for funerals, okay? She's in the back of a black limousine with her mom and her grandma going back home to the home that Paul had built that he wants to have his wake in. And hundreds of people are coming to show up. All of his friends, coworkers, colleagues, all of them would be there and treating it like some, some networking event. Paul and his college best friend, Adam, had set up this big architectural firm. It was one of the biggest in Atlanta. It received like billions of dollars in government contracts every year. It was insane. And so he had a lot of powerful friends, politicians, head fund managers, bankers, real estate developers, just straight up old money, rich Southern people. All of them were treating this like it was a fun little gossipy event. Claire wanted to die. She wanted to do something that would probably land her in prison again, so she had to behave. And she's waiting to go home to this concrete fortress that was, I mean, every part of this house was meticulously designed by her husband that she loved so much, who is now dead. Why would she want to be in there in a home that was filled with just memories of him? He designed every single wall, every single outlet, everything was meticulously planned out. Like I imagine Kim Kardashian's home, kind of cold beige concrete-y, but mm -hmm. architectural. 
So Claire is zoning out on the way home and her mom and her grandma are droning on and on about all the people in attendance. Hey, your, your tennis friends seem nice though. Maybe you can lean on them for some support. Which one is it that you assaulted again? A what? Yeah. Claire looked oh. at her mom. Mom, it, it wasn't assault. It was disorderly conduct. It's a very big legal difference, okay? She wasn't here, obviously. Claire's grandmother chimed in. Well, she'll probably send flowers. Everyone loved Paul. That's a flat-out lie. Claire's grandma despised Paul, mainly because he was rich. And she grew up during the Great Depression era, and she felt like everyone needed to struggle as much as her to be worth someone. Paul didn't even grow up rich, though. His mom was a housewife, and his dad owned a farm, and they worked really hard to get where they are now. Paul wasn't even doing this for the money. Like, yeah, they liked nice things, okay? But they liked security. During the car ride, Claire pondered about her new life as a widow, and we learned more about Paul through her thoughts. He always wanted kids. She never wanted them. She even went as far as lying. She went to a fertility doctor and lied to him about how she couldn't conceive, but in reality, she had an IUD stuck up there and lied about the whole thing. She remembered how he was so devastated. He comforted her. He stayed with her. He tried to be strong for her. Now she felt so shitty about it. Paul was the only kid, and both of his parents died when he was 16. It was like a really weird freak accident, okay? So there was this freak ice storm, which happens in Georgia. You would be surprised. His parents were driving. This was like making all the news back then. Paul's father was decapitated in the accident, and Paul's mom was alive for a few seconds. Jesus. Or at least that's what witnesses reported because they claimed they heard her screaming for help and saw that her husband was decapitated and then the entire car was engulfed in flames and now Paul has been scared of fire ever since. And they have like a sprinkler for every inch of their house, literally. So scared of fire. It's the only thing that he's ever been scared of. That's why he never wanted to be cremated. The only relative that Paul had was like an uncle somewhere. That was like it. So now his dreams of having a big family, she killed it. And then someone killed him in an alleyway. Which, by the way, the guy's still not caught. So as the car approaches the giant mansion, Helen, Claire's mom, notices that the front gate is open. Oh yeah, I left it open to let the caterers in. They all stop talking. The entire front of the home was lit up like a Christmas tree. Cop cars. For once, Claire's mom was acting like a mom. Whether it was genuine care for Claire or overall hatred for the cops, I don't know. But Claire was grateful. Helen jumped out the car. Is there a problem here, officer? This is private property. Mom, okay, that's a bit too much. Sorry, I'm Claire Scott. This is my home. Can I help you, officers? Yes, ma'am. Can we see some ID? And she's fumbling through her purse, listening to her mom yell at the cops about how inconsiderate they are. Can you not tell that they're just coming back from a funeral? Somebody just died. You should be looking for the murderer. I mean, there's about to be a hundred cars showing up here for the wake. Politicians, do you want to do you want to run into Atlanta's elite right now? And you explain to them what you're doing here. Do you want to be valet? Claire's hurrying to find her ID so her mom can stop making a scene. But in that moment, she realizes she doesn't have her ID because it was taken by the person who killed her husband and she faints on the front lawn. When she comes back to, her mom is hovering over her. The cops tell her not to sit up, but she sits up anyway. There's no point in an ambulance coming. There's about to be a hundred cars right now. She gets up and tells them, I can handle it. What's going on, officers? While you were at the funeral, three people tried to break into your home. What? Excuse me? 
The cage wearers stumbled upon a few masked men that had broken your side door. It doesn't seem like they got into the house well, they had just entered, and it seems like nothing was stolen. We believe that they were scared off by the cage wearers and ran off. We have a bolo ad on the vehicle, but the best we can do is have you walk through the home and let us know if anything was stolen. This is the character development moment that we've been looking for already. This move, this book moves fast. Claire steps up to the plate. Even though this is normally something Paul would take care of, he's dead. So she cancels everything. She sends everyone home, you turn from the wake, helps the police write a police report, helps someone take grandma home, and she's on a fucking roll, but something stops her dead in the tracks. She's introduced to the officer in charge of the burglary, Captain Mayhew. Captain? Even for Paul's literal murder, all we got was a detective. What the hell is so important about an attempted, not so successful home burglary that a captain would show up? The congressman asked me to directly handle this personally once we figured out whose home this was. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Johnny Jackson was Paul's benefactor from the start. He was like Paul's mentor. He wasn't a congressman when he met Paul, but he took him under his wing, really helped him with business contracts, government contracts for the firm, and uh, that is also why their Amex card is riddled with charges of private jets that were never taken by Paul and five-star hotels that Paul never stayed in because Congressman Jackson is cashing in on his investment. <laughs> on the firm's dollar. Getting his ROI, if you will. Oh. Yeah. Claire does a brief walkthrough of the house while the captain tells her that there have been a string of robberies. They believe it's professional criminal groups who look at the obits, like the obituaries, and see when a funeral is because most family members will be there at the funeral. Wow. Then they will rob the homes. Claire was disgusted, but the other officer that was with the captain spoke up, and he just had a weird vibe to him. Maybe it was the black eye that he had? Fred Nolan, you mind taking us to the guts of the security system? Claire led them to the garage where both men stood still for a second. This is not a regular garage. This is a detached garage. The entire garage looks like Manny Cushpin's garage. Like I'm talking a fully done interior where there's cars parked. There's about half a million dollars worth of cars parked in there right now. Like a crazy Porsche, Tesla, like all these crazy cars. The upstairs is Paul's office. There's basement storage under the garage and there's a locked back door with insulation and that's like the security room. It's like a guard house. There's a walk-in closet next to his office office, two full bathrooms. This garage is insane. And everything in the garage is like meticulously organized and labeled and locked with codes. Kind of a neat freak, eh? Yeah, I got lucky. Does your husband secretly work for the NSA or something? Yep, that's exactly what he did. Nolan was starting to piss her off. Either way, she led them to the security room where they were about to replay the footage of the masked men entering via the open gate and breaking the window. The alarms had been turned off because she was expecting the caterers to come in with their key. Claire couldn't do it anymore. She didn't want to watch the footage, so she excused herself and went upstairs to Paul's office. She hadn't been in there since he died, and it was just... This is where he spent a lot of time. She just missed him, you know? Oh, and then fuck. Okay. Uh, she thought about all the things that she had to do, you know, it, everything was Paul's. He had this insane work ethic and now she has to, uh, the break-in. She's got to call insurance and fix that window, but she doesn't even know who the insurance company is and she's freaking out. So she digs out her phone or takes the landline and she calls Adam. This is his like architect firm partner. Now they're best friends, but they also share the same people who do everything. Also, side note about Paul. 
She's like reminiscing while she's in the office. There's just something about Paul that was different, you know? She, she had this big painting that she painted him of his old home in Athens, Georgia, his farm. Who painted it? Claire. Because oh, okay. um, these manufacturers came over and took over the farm and they literally killed his childhood home. Mm -hmm. And he hung it in his office. It's not even a good painting. And she remembered, Claire's beautiful, by the way. She's like drop dead gorgeous, especially when she was younger, even now at 40, but like when she was like 20, everyone wanted to date her. But Paul, she remembered their very first date. He would say, everyone knows you're beautiful, but no one knows you're clever. And she said that was a word. Like anyone can be smart, but clever, it takes someone special to be clever, you know? Okay. Yeah. You're clever. <laughs> <laughs> you is clever, okay? <laughs> So anyways, she is calling Adam for the insurance agent and um, Claire, are you all right? The wake was canceled. Yeah, we were robbed. It's fine, I'm fine. They didn't actually take anything. Listen, do you know who our insurance agent is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll send over her name right along with her contact. Okay, thanks. Look, Claire, I'm really sorry about having to ask you right now. I, I was gonna wait until after the wake and everything's settled, but do you mind sending me some of the recent work files on Paul's computer? I, I, I know, it's like the worst time. It's fine, it's no big deal. I'm so sorry, Claire. Claire hangs up and she thinks about all the hours that she spent alone with Adam and she hated herself for it. She could have spent it with her loving husband instead. So we get a little hint that she was having an affair with Adam. Okay, some shit's going on. So she sits on his computer chair and logs into his computer. She knew his password. And Adam yeah. is... The, the partner, best friend. best friend. Wow. Slash business partner. Yeah. So she They goes, share everything together? Yes, including ah. Claire. So she goes through all the major files. It was labeled work, personal, house. He's very meticulous. She clicked work and there was a long list of files with numbers instead of names. So she's thinking, okay, it's gotta be the most recent ones like Adam was saying that he was probably working on. So she sorts them most recent. She realizes a few of the files had been opened and worked on right before he went to go meet her in the bar, the mm -hmm. day that he died. Mm -hmm. She clicked it open and oh my God, Kinky. A woman is chained to a concrete wall, like a basement wall in an X formation, and like, whoa! Yikes. She immediately mutes it because there's detectives downstairs, and the whole video looked like the opposite of what Paul was into. Paul, I'm talking, is four seasons vanilla boy Paul, and suddenly we're talking grunge BDSM basement. What's going on? What? The room itself is filthy. There's like a mattress on the floor of the video. The woman is brunette, has mascara, like just streaming down her face, red lipstick that's smeared everywhere. And suddenly a man with a ski mask enters the screen and adjusts the camera like this, like up close. And he starts walking towards the girl on the wall. And he has a machete in his hand. And very quickly he slices it in the air and blood sprays everywhere. And then he, Mrs. Scott. Claire starts fumbling to turn off the computer and the video player and won't exit, it's fucking buffering. So she slams on the keys, anything to get it to stop playing. Mrs. Scott, can I come in? She finally gets it to close just as Fred Nolan opens the door. She's sweating and clutching the desk. Something wrong, Mrs. Scott? No, do you need something? 
I just wanted to let you know that we looked at the possible connections and there doesn't seem to be any connection between what happened to your husband in the alleyway and the robbery today. But just to be sure, we'll send someone here to comb through everything. That won't be necessary. His eyes fall to her white knuckles that are gripping the table. Something you don't want us to see? Silence. I'm curious, Mrs. Scott. Did your husband say anything to you before he was murdered? What would he even say? That he wanted to play around with machetes? Oh, sweetie, before I die, I just wanted to let you know that I was watching a really weird video before I came to see you, and like, he kills the girl. Would she say that? No, she's uh -oh. thinking that. Oh. Uh, no. He promised me he wouldn't die, but... Maybe you noticed anything different that night, general demeanor. She did think it was weird that he was so rough in the alleyway and now with the video, but she doesn't say that. I'm sorry, are you a detective or a rookie cop? It's just, you didn't give me a title or show any, ah, my apologies. He takes out his wallet and shows his badge, but instead of the sheriff's shield, Federal Bureau of Investigation. What? The fucking FBI? Why would the FBI be involved? So if you don't know, Georgia is interesting. So they have, um, we have the regular police and then we have the GBI yes. and then the FBI, right? Yes, so, we have our GBI, baby. Yeah, so we're, where the hell, why the hell is the FBI here and not the GBI? And like, why did it escalate like this? Okay, but like, is it the movie? She's like freaking out, okay? I didn't know the FBI was in charge of unsuccessful burglaries. The gang who robbed your house crossed county lines. We're helping the police forces coordinate. That's all. Fred Nolan stared at her for what felt like an eternity, and she tried her best to look as natural as possible. But the minute that he left, she ran to the pristine bathroom and threw up everywhere. Everyone just kind of assumes that I'm trying to learn Chinese to be closer to my fiance and his family. That's the primary reason, okay? That is my main motivator. I want to spy and snoop in on conversations that my fiance is having with his family in Mandarin, but there's a whole lot of other reasons too. Another reason is that my doctor told me that one of the best ways to keep your brain sharp is to learn a new language. And I always get so motivated by that. Which if you guys are looking to learn a new language, might I suggest to you my favorite, Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is a language game changer for me. Okay, so they are the expert in language learning for the past 30 years. They have an award-winning app where you can learn anytime, anywhere. You can pick from 25 languages, like they have Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Spanish, and I just love how easily digestible Rosetta Stone makes it. You can learn and make real progress in as little as 10 minutes at a time, and it feels like this like yummy language snack for your brain, and it's really rooted in preparing you for real life. My fiance was so amazed at how good Rosetta Stone is because I've tried learning Chinese before and it always sounded awkward. Like I sounded like a robot. And he would say, no, this is really good. It's like how the locals talk. My favorite part though, no memorizing vocab, no tedious like flashcard style. I hate that. And Rosetta Stone is so intuitive. And I always see comments that are like, oh my God, Biss, I'm trying to learn Korean. Well, for a limited time, our listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Unlimited subscription, which gives you access to all 25 of their languages forever for 40% off. Visit rosettastone.com baking today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. So let's cover another letter from Julia's dad, shall we? Every year on the anniversary of Julia's disappearance, Julia's dad would go to, down to the police station, look the sheriff in the eye and demand to see the case files. At first, the sheriff used to put up a fight and say, no, we're not allowed to show you the case files. It's an ongoing investigation. But then he would threaten to tell reporters. So he'd be brought into the police interrogation room. 
where he had his lunch packed, a thermos, and he would stay all day, pouring through the case files again. There was almost never anything new added. All of the names, witnesses, suspects, potential suspects, anything, anyone were blacked out, redacted so that he could not see. Instead, he could just read about how everyone thought that Julia was an opinionated young lady, a free spirit, and how she had been arguing with her sisters and about how Julia's parents wouldn't let her go to a concert, so she probably ran away. <sighs> Julia's dad realized if anyone was gonna find her, it was gonna be him. It wasn't gonna be the cops. Lydia goes home that night, determined to not use drugs. She had been sober for at least two decades now, ever since she had her daughter Dee, and she wasn't gonna let Paul ruin her life again. He almost ruined her life before she had her daughter. Lydia would drink and do all sorts of drugs while thinking to herself, if only Paul hadn't, if only he didn't. And then she would use to try and forget. She would try to forget being in Paul's car, driving to the woods with his hand on her knee. Those were the bad years. That's what her and Rick called it now. Rick also still called her Pepper. That was Lydia's old nickname. You know, Julia was the one that started calling me that. Dee looked at her. Your sister, Julia? Yeah. You know, Dee, it's okay to talk about her. You look just like her, you know? She's beautiful. You're beautiful. With Julia? Is Lydia's sister. Oh. Julia went missing 20 years ago. Yeah. So Lydia is the mom? No, is the sister of Julia. Oh, got it. Mm -hmm. Oh. And now she's a mom. Ah, I see, I see. Because it's been 20 years since she went missing. So that's her, her dad. Yeah, the, the one beginning. writing the letters. Oh. That's her dad. We just found out. Okay, just okay. found out, yeah. Okay. So Lydia thought back to her life even before Paul. Julia had been gone for five years. And for five years, her dad, he didn't sleep. He didn't live. He didn't breathe. All he did was grieve. But she thought he would have loved Dee. She would have made him the proudest grandfather. But he was gone too. Just like Julia. Well, maybe not just like Julia. Sam, their father, at least she had answers. He had ended things. He just couldn't live without one of his daughters. So we find out Julia's dad later ends. Oh. But we're going to see how it amps up oh, in the letters. Oh, we're just reading the letters. Yeah. Ah. So that day, Lydia drops off Dee at school and drives all the way to the grave. She had to print out the pictures from Google Maps to figure out what the cemetery looked like, but um, the drive took longer than she imagined. And maybe it was the rain, which she didn't think it was gonna rain. She always pictured herself being the one killing Paul and she thought it was gonna be a sunny day, but it's fine. She parks her car, walks over to the grave, and it's drizzling. You were wrong, you know. You said I was worthless. You said I was gutter, trash, and I'd be dead by now. You said nobody would believe me because I didn't matter. And for a while, I believed you. I thought maybe I was the problem. But I didn't lie, I didn't make anything up, and you made me believe that I wanted it, that I sent you all the signals and I never did. You were just a psychopathic motherfucker, and you found the way to perfectly alienate me from my own family. Well, fuck you and your stupid fucking degree and your fucking blood money because look who's standing here now. Look who's still kicking it, you piece of shit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance on your grave. I'm gonna shit on your grave. And she starts pulling her pants oh. down. She wasn't really gonna shit on his grave, just pee on his grave. But as she squatted, she saw shoes. And she looks up. 
perfect, sleek black dress, skinny, elegant, rich, staring at her. The wife? At least Helen has one perfect daughter. Claire. Lydia hadn't seen her baby sister in 18 years. So these are both Julia's sisters. Oh my, what? But for some reason, Lydia hates Paul and that's why they no longer talk. Oh. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh-huh. What the fuck? These aren't even plot twists in Karen Slaughter's world. This is just a casual Tuesday, yeah, baby. Yeah, but like, I'm getting confused. I know! Me too, okay? So they're both sisters. So there are three sisters. Yeah. One of them married Paul. The other one hates Paul. Mm -hmm. And then one of them gone missing. Yeah. 20 years ago. Okay. Never in her wildest dreams did she think that Claire would turn into their mom. Claire tossed a bunch of tissues at the ground for Lydia. Lydia stood up, pulled up her pants. Well, that was fun. I hope I never see you again. And she starts walking off, but Claire chases her down. What do you want, Claire? You made your choice. You and mom both made your choice. You can't just expect me to forgive you now that he's dead. Forgive me? Forgive me? I'm the one that needs forgiveness? You just tried to shit on my dead husband's grave. Yeah, well, your dead husband tried to rape me. And guess what you said 18 years ago? Do you remember? You kicked me out of your house and threatened to call the cops. You accused me of lying. You chose a guy, a stupid fucking guy over your own sister. Oh yeah, because you were the most trustworthy sister in the world. You stole cash from me all the time. You stole my favorite pearls, all of my jewelry. You lied to me about borrowing my car. You sold it you, so you could buy drugs. You ran up $13,000 of debt on my credit card that you stole. You always lied. How was I supposed to know that this time was different? Well, I would never lie about something like that, Claire. You were high when he drove you home. Maybe you didn't remember. Oh yeah, sure, that's what he said, huh? He picked me up from jail. How the hell did I get high in jail, Claire? You didn't even care to hear me out. You heard me say one sentence and then you threatened to kick me out. You never fucking wanted the truth. So why the hell are you even talking to me now? Lydia looked at Claire. She was doubting Paul. She could feel it. Did he hurt you? What? No, he, he would never hurt me. He took care of me. He was a good man. He was a good husband. Lydia tried to change the subject to Helen, their mother, whom she also hasn't spoken to in 18 years, but somehow that led to Claire asking her about her life. Do you have kids? No. Lydia lied straight at her sister. But the more she looked at her, Claire just looked like hell. She looked like she wasn't doing well. <laughs> Claire, are you... I have to go. Take care of yourself, Pepper. And with that, Claire walked off. She went home to take her $500 custom tennis racket, which is so fucking goofy because she always preferred the $20 Wilson ones. And she starts slamming half a million dollars worth of cars, just beating them up because she's having a mental fucking breakdown, okay? Because she thought she knew her husband, doesn't know her husband. What the fuck is going on? Okay, what is going on right now? She tried to come up with a five million reasons as to why this video was on his computer. But Paul would say that this is the law of truly large numbers. Get a big enough sample size, outrageous things are bound to happen, right? Maybe it's that. Maybe he accidentally downloaded it. Maybe he thought it was a funny joke. Maybe someone sent it to him in an email. But Paul was not careless. He would never. Maybe he didn't realize what was on the movie. 
Maybe he hadn't gotten to the end. Maybe he just thought it was kinky. But Pa doesn't even like scary movies. That was her thing. But maybe it wasn't even real. Maybe it was like a fake snuff film, like a parody. Technology is so good these days. Claire put the tennis racket down. She knew what she had to do. She knew all along, but now she had the courage. She had to look at all the other files in his work folder. That would answer a lot of the questions. She went upstairs, sat down, and her mom would tell her, knowing the truth isn't always a good thing. That's how her mom dealt with Julia's disappearance. And that's not how dad dealt with it, and look what happened to him, he's dead too. But she couldn't do it. She had to know. It didn't matter. It was killing her on the inside. So she clicked on the second work file and it was the same woman, same situation, and it looked like the same day, or at least the same place. Claire paused it and tried to study the setting. It, it looked like an older basement, stained mattress, uh, fast food bags littered all over the floor. She tried to turn on the sound, but all she could hear was the woman crying and she couldn't do it again. This film, instead of a machete, the man had an electric cattle prod. They zap the cows. Oh, man. And, well, you know what he's gonna do with it. Wait, is this like a, it looks like a snuck film type of thing? It looks real, but it she doesn't real. know. Okay. Then she went to the next movie down. Same woman, same man, same setup. So it's like all the torture looked like it was chronologically broken down into different little movies. She tried to study the man. Or at least she could be certain it wasn't her husband. Her husband had three distinct moles on his shoulder. He was leaner, taller. This man was a little bit pudgier. She kept going until she found videos containing a new woman, but same setting, same masked man, same situation, but a new, younger looking woman. Is this even legal? Is this even real? Oh my God, is she gonna get in trouble for watching this? Wait, fuck, what if the Wi-Fi connects and like the NSA can watch? Okay, so she freaks out. She tries to connect the router out of the computer, but as she's doing that, she notices something curious. There is a wire leading from the computer into the ground. Straight in to underneath the office is the security room. What? She runs downstairs and she sees that the wire is connected to this massive mainframe. This is when it hits her. None of this was an accident. Eight years ago when Paul had built this house, he had built a space for the main storage of all these movies. Eight years ago. That oh. means these movies must be real, right? Because they're not online. Yeah. That means these women, these poor women. Oh my God. Claire knew what she had to do. She copied the entire disc, or at least that folder, there was a lot more, into a hard drive, waited 54 minutes staring at the computer like a zombie, thinking about what the hell her life had become. When it was finally done, she threw the transferred files. So she has a copy at home. This is just a copy of the files. Threw them into her car, drove straight to the police station and demanded to speak to Captain Mayhew. She didn't even know the guy, but he's the top dog in charge, okay? She knew that once this got out, her life would be upside down. The police would search her house Every inch of her life would try to figure out if she was in on it. The whispers would get out. She knew the consequences. She would never have a social life again, but she had to. These poor fucking women. She sat in front of Captain Mayhew while he opened the first file. They were on my husband's computer. My husband has movies of women being tortured and killed, and I think that he liked watching them, and I just found them. Captain Mayhew watched for several minutes in silence. 
He paused and sat back in his chair. I know this must be very shocking for you, Mrs. Scott. Trust me, the first time I saw this kind of stuff, I couldn't sleep for weeks, even though I knew it was fake. You what? It, it, it's fake? Well, yeah, this isn't even one of the good ones, Mrs. Scott. You can see the shadow right here. Um, that's the connection for the squib. You know what a squib is? It's used in movies. It's like a plastic bladder filled with fake blood. They have remote-controlled ones now, so I guess this one's a bit low-budget. A what we, now? I don't get it. Mrs. Scott, this is fake. <laughs> but she... I know, she looks quite like Anna Kilpatrick. Claire froze. She hadn't been thinking that at all. She had been so caught up in her husband and the fact that he had these movies, she didn't even... But now that he said it, she couldn't unsee it. It does kind of look like that missing girl. Mrs. Scott, I know about your past. Your sister, Julia, and I know it must lead you to have some very dark thoughts and create these very dark connections and lead to these conclusions. That's completely normal, and I, I feel for you. But this stays between us, okay? What? We found a lot of blood in Anna's car. Too much blood for her to still be alive, if that makes sense. So again, I'm really sorry. You know, men are pigs, and your husband probably had, had fun watching this kind of stuff, but you know, it's just a video. It's like a video game. It doesn't mean he wanted to do this in real life or that he liked it in real life, you know? And take it from me, a pig myself, you know, men just, we like to watch weird things once in a while. You don't think that with Anna being missing, it's such an odd coincidence? Nonsense, Mrs. Scott. The law of truly large numbers, have, have you heard of that? <gasps> Claire froze, but he continued. What the fuck? She had never heard anyone talk about this theory or any theory like this for any reason. And the way he explained the theory, he might as well have taken the words straight out of Paul's mouth. Had they ever met before? Before Claire left, Captain Mayhew asked one too many times if there were any other backups of these videos anywhere. She lied and said, no, that was it. That's all I found. Well, I'll take these off your hands, and if you need anything at all or anything comes up, just give me a call. I'll handle it personally. Thank you. She starts rushing out the door. She wants to gag, and she notices a note on her windshield. I really need those files. Don't make me do this the hard way. Adam Quinn. Adam Quinn, the business partner, had been at the police station being questioned about the burglary because everyone who had keys to the house were questioned and Adam had keys to the house. Claire didn't pay any attention to him. She did run into him on the way in, but she had bigger problems. But now, what the fuck files was he talking about? <gasps> the movies? Meanwhile, on the other side of town, Lydia was laying on Rick's lap while she contemplated her meeting with her sister. Rick wanted to know more about Claire, but Lydia didn't know what to say. Claire was always the interesting one out of the three sisters. They were best friends until Paul came around and ripped them apart. But Claire was kind of like a cat. Beautiful, pretty, terrifying, quiet. She's the one that everyone underestimates. She likes to watch and listen and observe. Kind of sneaky, you know? Even during trivia nights, even if she knew the right answer to every question, which she always did, she would always get a few wrong on purpose. I don't know why, but she's too smart for her own good. I don't know what she ever saw in Paul, though. He's a loser, and he wasn't even rich when they started dating. He was smart, genius, but 
He was a five and Claire was a solid 11. I just think that he was the safe choice, the guy that loved her more than she loved him. And of course he was a master manipulator. He tried to make her feel like he was the one saving her, doing her a favor by being with her. He isolated her, he was obsessed with her, it was freaking gross. And then there was another insane quote in the book. The world stops for you when you're pretty. That's why women spend billions on crap for their faces. Their whole life, they are the center of attention. People want to be around them just because they're attractive. Their jokes are funnier. Their lives are better. And then suddenly, they get a, they get a few bags under their eyes or put on a little weight and no one cares about them anymore. It's like they cease to exist. Yikes. Paul was now dating the most beautiful girl in the college. I mean, it's clear what he was getting out of it, but what the hell was Claire getting out of it? Lydia wondered, okay? As they're both pondering, Lydia hears her phone ding from across the room. She gets up and grabs it. A text from an unknown number, and it doesn't say anything. It's an address to a nice part of Atlanta. Babe, who is it? It's Claire. My sister needs me. And with that, Lydia runs to be with her sister. What? The one that betrayed her, the one she hadn't spoken to in 18 years because her little sister needed her and it was a mix of emotions. So like, I mean the whole book, it's the way it's done is very well done. It's not like Lydia's like, you know what, I forgive you for everything. She fucking hates Claire the whole time that she's there. But it's like, she can't not go for some reason and it mm. maybe has to do with the trauma from Julia as well. Mm. Of like, what if she doesn't go and something happens to Claire? Mm. Okay. So it's like very complicated and yep. like Lydia lies to Claire about her family, never tells her about her daughter for the longest time, like yep. just lies about everything. Yeah. So Claire is waiting for her sister to maybe, maybe not show up and she takes a tally of all the things that she had since discovered since coming into the basement. She went through all the files. She had come upon these boxes of files. So let's just run down. Each series consisted of multiple five minute videos and each section of five minute videos was like a part of the torture. There was like whipping, mutilation, branding, electrocution, like just crazy fucking torture. And each episode was basically the same format, but a different girl. And they all started with their heads covered and chained up, but later their faces would be uncovered. And the last video was when they die. The very last one on the secret hard drive was of a girl that looked like Anna Kilpatrick. She couldn't study the face close enough, but it looked like her. And um, there are other, like this book is really gruesome. It's really dark. Like uh, the author says that they use the machete not to kill, but to assault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So like there was just no way it was fake. Like that amount of torture, like who even wants to watch that? It just doesn't even make sense, okay? Claire couldn't just sit by and see if her sister was gonna show up, so she downed a whole bottle of wine, paired with a couple of Valium, and she starts going through these boxes that she had found in the basement. These boxes contained files upon files of women. Women that were not missing. Women that were alive. And how does she know they're alive? Because Paul hired a private investigator once a year to keep tabs on all these women, including her sister, Lydia. And remember how Lydia's daughter, Dee, was going to the school on a scholarship? Yeah, it's on there too. Paul opened the scholarship, threw out all the other applicants, and he was paying for de-schooling. What in the world? <sighs> wow, this guy's doing a lot. Yeah. And she's clueless. She was clueless. Huh. Clueless. 
<sighs> yeah, and the whole time I was reading it, I was like, I don't know, babe. I'm so suspicious of you. <laughs> he was like, you gotta stop reading these books. You gotta read like a rom-com. I'm like, I can't read a rom-com, okay? Let me go through your computer right now. Fascinating, huh? What's fascinating, you creep? <laughs> You're creeping me out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Every single year for the past 20 years, Paul had kept a PI keeping tabs on Lydia, as well as a bunch of other women. It just didn't make sense. There were pictures of them grocery shopping, just really creepy stuff. Claire knew that Lydia had lied to her about having a kid, and on top of that, Dee looked just so much like their sister, Julia. The resemblance was uncanny. Paul was clearly obsessed with Lydia, but why? Over the years, Paul would even suggest that Claire reach out to Lydia, but she refused. She said, I don't want to have someone like that in my life if they would accuse you of something like that. I don't want anyone to come between you and me, Paul. And now Claire can't help but wonder if maybe Paul had manipulated her. Was Paul playing her for a fool this whole time? And who were these other women? Did he try to assault them too? Is she like shaken to the core right now? Yeah. And the way that Karen Slaughter writes her downfall is so realistic. It's not just sadness, it's like this anger and then grief and then like trying to talk herself out of it. Like maybe it was an accident. There's just no way that's not who I knew and I'm not dumb. Like it's just like such a mix of emotions mm. that keep coming in waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she's thinking he watched videos of the assault. He allegedly tried to assault her sister. Maybe he was a serial assaulter. Or is that too far of a stretch? Was that the connection to Lydia, these women? Other pressing questions include, was Captain Mayhew an idiot for thinking these were fake or is he somehow connected to all of this? And Adam Quinn, the architect partner, what files? Is he talking about work files or these video files? Ding! Ah! Claire jumps up the door. Lydia is here. Claire hid Lydia's files from the rest. She knew that her sister would never be able to get over the fact that she was watched without knowing it for the past 20 years of her life and the dirty cheap cheap pun feelings that would cause. So she runs to the door and Lydia scans the cold mansion. It's her first time in here. Claire is too drunk to care. Did you have an affair with Paul? Ew, Lydia looks disgusted and shocked. Are you freaking kidding me right now? To Claire, it made sense though. Maybe Dee is Paul's kid. Why else would he pay for her schooling? Like a love child, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. What are you on, Claire? Valium, vodka, Ambien, who cares? Was Paul cheating on you? Just tell me what happened between you and Paul. Why? Literally, why? You didn't want to hear it 18 years ago. What good does it do now? He's dead. Please, Pepper. I need to know. Lydia contemplated her options, but maybe this is what her sister needed. I was in his car. He bailed me out of jail. He was driving me home. He kept putting his hand on my knee and I kept pushing it off. Suddenly, he drove deep into the woods, pulled over, and he punched me in the face before I knew what was coming. My nose started bleeding and I was so out of it. I tried to fight him, but he still kept punching me. I managed to run out of the car into the woods and I tripped on a branch. I ended up face down on the ground. He climbed on top of me. He was hurting me. And I just kept remembering how he was digging his nails into my thighs and saying, tell me you want this. Claire stopped breathing. It's really traumatizing and gross, you know. I still have nightmares. He said it as if I was enjoying it, as if this was completely normal. Then he ripped the skin of my thighs. And right when he was about to, we heard whistling. There were men walking through the woods looking for a quiet place to hook up. I booked it out of there. One of the guys helped me. They wanted me to call the cops, but I told them no. Why not? 
because I was just bailed out of jail? Paul is your boyfriend, upstanding scholarship winning grad student. Who do you think the cops would believe? But you had witnesses. Yeah, because the cops in the South love gay men trying to hook up in the woods at night. Claire led Lydia to the kitchen where she started drinking, but right at that moment, headlights shine through the dining room. Oh my God, someone is here. Why, why is there a cop here, Claire? I'm on parole, Lydia. I cannot have drugs in my system. You're on parole? You have to help me, please, just open the door. It's probably that FBI agent. The fucking FBI agent? What are you talking about? Fred Nolan, asshole FBI agent. You committed a federal crime? I don't know, okay? Just get him out of here. Lydia opens the door and Claire is waiting behind her. Claire thought she was hiding, but it's just frosted glass. Let me speak to Claire. I know she's hiding behind you. He steps in. Claire, I'm assuming you know that your husband was embezzling money from the company? Wait, who is this? Fred Nolan, FBI. Oh. Excuse me? Embezzling money? You're lying. You can talk to Adam Quinn if you'd like. He's the one that called the FBI to begin with. Your husband wired $3 million of company funds to an offshore account. But here's the funny thing, Miss Scott. That kind of money, that's enough for me to retire on. But to you and your husband, drop in the bucket. Paul's worth at least $50 million on paper, probably more. Probably a lot more. Can you please just get to the point? Adam Quinn was nice enough to settle out of court with your husband, but maybe he found another way to get your husband back. And he scanned his eyes up and down her body, letting her know loud and clear that he knew about the affair. I guess I'll get going now, Mrs. Scott. But I guess, you know, curiosities keep me up at night. I'm just so curious why your husband, who is worth so much, would risk all of that for a mere $3 million that would mean nothing to him. He walked off and Lydia slammed the door shut. Start explaining what's going on. Claire, what the fuck is going on? Sorry I asked you to come. You should leave, Pepper. But instead of leaving, Lydia forced Claire to bathe, cooked her a hot meal, and while she was in the shower, Claire comes out and says, I just... So stupid, isn't it? I have a harder time believing my husband was a thief than I have... Believing he was a rapist. Lydia, I don't deserve your forgiveness. Yeah, well, I don't forgive you, but you're still my sister. And during breakfast, Claire explains to her why she was on parole. Apparently, Claire smashed the knee of her tennis partner on purpose with her tennis racket. Yeah, so the tennis partner was talking about a girl in her daughter's college who got drunk one night, went to a frat party, and was R-worded by a bunch of guys who roofied her drink, and there was a video circulating of the massive, basic, massive dog pal assault. Everyone on campus had watched it. And in the end, this tennis partner housewife bitch mom said, that stupid girl, getting drunk like that around a bunch of boys, it's her own fault for going to that party. What the fuck? What did you just say? And uh, Lydia said, so what happened? I took my racket and I smashed it into her knee. Mm. Broke her knee and her nose and two of her teeth, blood everywhere. She needed two operations to get her knee back into place. It was actually quite fun. Until I got arrested. And you got out on parole? We bought our way out of it. Took a shit ton of money, but still had to wear an ankle bracelet for six months. Anyway, that's the story. So the two ate their toast in silence, and Lydia asked why Claire believed her now after 18 years. Lydia, you might not want to believe it, but I really loved him. Like, I truly loved him. 
but I'm so angry I couldn't even see the truth when it was right there in front of me. None of this makes sense, Claire. Why are the feds on this case? If Adam Quinn or whatever settled out of court for the embezzlement, why are the feds still on it? Claire hesitated, but she knew that she needed Lydia's help. She told her about all the videos and the files and her sister demanded to see the videos. She showed her the still images and started playing it. And she showed her the girl that looks like Anna Kilpatrick and they kept comparing it to internet photos and it was bad, it was bad. So the girl that looks like Anna Kilpatrick, she has this large X burned into her belly, below the ribs, like mutilated, off center, burns all over her body. It looks like her, but I mean, I can't be sure. So Lydia helps Claire come up with a small action plan. It's not a great plan, but what options do they have right now? Claire remembered the day that Paul died. She ended up with his keys in her hand for some reason, right? Strange, whatever. But the key had a USB drive on the keychain. They plug it in. Nothing's on there. Okay, what the fuck? Now the USB keychain was a gift from Claire, so maybe it was just like a memento, like a sentimental thing he wanted her to keep. He like really loved that keychain. So plugs it in, nothing's on there. She goes to Paul's laptop, this is the plan. They're gonna put his real work files in there, give it to Adam Quinn, and if Adam Quinn is like, no, give me the other files, that means he's fucking in on it. Why aren't they reaching out to FBI? Who knows if they're in on it? Okay. You know what I mean? So um, they're testing him. Meanwhile, Lydia went through the file names of the videos, all the numbers, and she felt like there had to be some sort of pattern to these things. She realized, at least with the numbers for that girl, Anna Kilpatrick, the title was a sequence of numbers that translated to the day that she went missing. Which oh means- Oh my God, so it is her. The videos must be real, and it must be Anna, and there must be other girls who went missing, and their families are looking for them. That's insane. Lydia asked, why would Paul download these off the internet? Do you think he was paying for these? But why wouldn't he report it? Lydia brought up something more terrifying. Every girl in the videos, every girl in the files, Claire, they all look like, like you. They all had the same blonde hair, same frame, same size. Wow. Going through the files, Lydia also uncovered a new piece of evidence, or at least what she thought it was, a deed for a property in Watkinsville. This is kind of near Athens, like 30 minutes away from Athens, and that's where Paul grew up on a farm. Yeah, but why is the deed to the property for Buckminster Fuller? Oh, that was Paul's favorite architect. Probably used it as a trust to buy the house. But that, that doesn't make sense because the reason that I painted him a painting of his childhood home was because Paul was very upset that this huge developing company had bought the farm and was gonna tear down his home. The motherfucker owned it all along. Lydia Google maps the house and at least as far as she could tell, the house was still there. I found the landline number to the house. Do you think he's renting it out? Maybe, but why wouldn't he mention it to me? Why would he go out of his way to lie about the house? I have a burner phone. I bought it yesterday. Let's call the number. You have a burp. Okay, fine, let's call that. The call went to voicemail where you could hear Paul's voice and another girl's voice asking someone to leave a message, like a cute little fucking family. Okay, what? Claire had bigger things to worry about. Yes, she did, okay? Her husband is like a crazy person and he's dead, but suddenly she's very jealous. The girl Lexi, or whatever, sounded younger, happier, perkier, stupider, bitchier. She stood up. I'm gonna go over there. What? You're gonna go? Well, if you go, you gotta tell Lexi or whatever the truth. If this was someone that was close to Paul, you gotta. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea, Lydia. I'm gonna go over there, knock on the door. Hi, Lexi. Nice to meet you. By the way, your husband. 
really into polygamy. Um, he's an R-worder, a thief, an embezzler. Oh, and guess what I found on his computer? Do you want to watch it with me? I'm not doing that. Trust me, no woman wants to know this. Was Paul gone a lot, like on business trips? For a few days max, but I always went with him most of the times. What? But Athens is close enough for him to go and come back on days that he's working late. They studied the Google Maps Street View. At least the house didn't have a basement. That would have been really bad because the videos are filmed in a basement. What if the masked man is? I know, I thought the same thing. It's not Paul. I already studied the body. What about his partner, Adam? Maybe they're not just partners as architects. Claire realized that she never really studied Adam's body. They were just hot flings, you know? At the office, hidden. She never really even saw him naked. Claire couldn't do it. She was about to hop in the car, but Lydia offered to drive. There was no way that she was going to let Claire go all the way alone to Athens right now, and Claire did not argue. And in this very long car ride to Athens, the two of them reminisce about Julia. Claire finally apologizes to Lydia for not believing her, and she knew that no amount of apologizing would ever be enough. She didn't even want Lydia to forgive her. She just wanted to voice it. That was all. But more explosive than that is while they're driving in the Tesla, which this is like a whole Tesla ad, they get a Google alert because the Tesla is like basically a computer for Anna Kilpatrick. This is Paul's car. So Paul had set up a Google alert for any news on Anna Kilpatrick. And they get a notification for it. They pull over and start watching the live press conference. Anna's body had been found on the belt line. The belt line. It's like a hiking trail that is literally just for, it's for views, but also a lot of crime, okay? What? Yeah. No. A lot of crime. Beltline is like the most popular hiking trail. Yes, but certain parts of the Beltline are seedier than others, and the Beltline is really only safe when the sun is out. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. What? But it's very safe and fun if you go during daytime. And you like rent a little bike. Yeah. I've been on the Beltline. I didn't feel that terrified, but anyway. Anna Kilpatrick is dead. Captain Mayhew took center stage while Anna's parents are sobbing in the back. But halfway through, shockingly, Anna's mom runs up to the podium, steals the mic, and screams, She was branded like a goddamn animal! Captain Mayhew struggles to get her off the podium and the feed to cut. They found another source from a different news outlet where Anna's mom can be seen using her finger to draw an X on the stomach. Just like they saw. And she screamed, my daughter was cut up. My baby was cut up. She was just a kid. What kind of animal would do that? She was dragged into the back room and the video cut. The two sat in silence. That was just like the video. Julia's dad was corresponding with the serial killer before he died. What the fork is going on? The serial killer's name is Ben Carver. He was known for killing a bunch of men. He wrote to Julia's dad, Sam, saying that he had information on what happened to his daughter's disappearance. Julia's dad followed every single lead because what choice did he have? He visited Carver on death row 48 times. He would have gone more, but he was only allowed once a week. The serial killer was magnetic, charismatic. He had a way of talking to Sam that made Sam feel like and this guy really cared about me, you know? It was clear that he used this charm to kill. But why was he being so kind to Sam? Was he just bored? Did he get off on Sam's grief for his missing daughter? What did he want from Sam? Sam knew he was dangerous, but what choice did he have? At least going to meet Ben Carver once a week was a reason to get out of bed, a reason to shower, 
And finally, after all these sessions, Ben gifted Julia's dad a gift. So Ben Carver is a notorious serial killer slash celebrity. A lot of people like him. It's weird. He's got a lot of clout, a lot of money for some reason. And somehow, while Sam was visiting him in prison, he got someone to go to his car and put a book inside of the car. So the guards are probably working with him. I don't know how he has power over the guards. Well, we find out later how he has power over the guards, but long story. Carver has connections. That's all we need to know. And it's a book. And the book had a note. First, you must have the images. Then come the answers. Sam didn't know what that meant, at least not in the beginning, but eventually he connected the dots. Ben Carver did know something about Julia's death after all. This guy could talk for hours about this, but good money habits start with your very first paycheck or your very first job. Like you have this great opportunity to jumpstart your financial journey with a healthy start. When you sign up for Chime and link a qualifying direct deposit, you get access to benefits like getting paid up to two days early and a fee-free overdraft up to $200, which I know this is a huge thing for my friends and family and a huge reason why they love Chime. And I just feel like it's, it's setting you on the right path, on the right foot. And with Chime, there are no monthly fees, no minimum balance, and no deposit required to become a member. So sign up for a Chime checking account today to link your paycheck. It only takes two minutes. It doesn't affect your credit score get started at chime.com baking that's chime.com baking chime is a financial technology company not a bank banking services and credit card provided by the bank court bank na or stride bank na members fdic early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply see chime.com spot me back in the in Athens, the sisters arrive and Claire tells Lydia it all made sense and it's sick. Even the night that Paul died, Paul asked about Anna, asked if the news was disturbing Claire because any missing girl, Claire has mental breakdowns and it's all part of his game. He even stalked that woman that he heard all over those years. He wanted control, he wanted power. Even isolating us from each other was power. And then she said what both of them were thinking. But he was in high school when Julia disappeared. He was living in Auburn, Alabama. It would take three hours to get to UGA. He was 15, he didn't have a car, he didn't have a license. The boarding school was basically run like a military. They checked on the boys three times that night and I know he wasn't there because that week the school went on a trip to watch the space shuttle take off in Houston and there's pictures of him. Yeah, I thought about it too. Lydia nodded, you know, but Paul chose to marry me though, because I was vulnerable. He was drawn to my tragedy. That's what it was. Lydia finally opened up too and told Claire that she had a daughter, but the way Claire responded made it clear that she already knew. And Lydia was like, he's a fucking file on me, doesn't he? Sorry, I didn't want you to know. Sorry. The two pull up to Paul's old childhood house and stared. The house is still standing. Claire hoped the masked man would be there, but then also she didn't because like, is he gonna kill her? Claire, this is too dangerous. We have to consider what could really happen to us if we keep digging into his secrets. I have to know, Lydia. If this Lexi girl knows who the masked man is, maybe she can help us stop him. I need the world to know what is happening to these women. <laughs> what if 20 years ago, two women had information on what happened to Julia? who took her, what exactly was done to her, and they kept their mouths shut because they were terrified. Lydia understood. Claire continued, look what happened to dad. 
never knowing, always guessing, look what happened. You wanna carry around all these girls, parents' guilt and misery on your shoulders? I have nothing to lose. You have a daughter, you have friends, you have a boyfriend. So go back. I can take care of this on my own. And with that, Claire hops out of the car and you swear Lydia's just gonna let her go. She's gonna be like, okay, bye. Take an Uber home. I'll send you some Uber credits. Absolutely not. Lydia starts cussing and she gets out the car and she's like, at least can we go back home and grab my gun? <laughs> you have a gun? It's under my porch. I hid it from my kid, don't worry. It's just, just, just in case. We don't have time. I have to do this before I lose my nerve. Claire marches to the front door and starts knocking, but nobody answers. She's angry. She marches to the trunk of the Tesla, grabs the pry bar, goes to the back door and starts breaking down the door. Lydia was kind of impressed, if I'm being honest with you. They broke in through the back and they both let in a gasp of air when they stepped in. The entire home was preserved from the 1980s. That's the vibe. It was clean. It didn't look dusty and abandoned, but it's like straight out of a 1980s magazine. It looked like someone was there cleaning it consistently, though there were vacuum marks back and forth on the carpet. It's like Paul was keeping a sick memento for his parents. It's very creepy. Even Paul's childhood room stayed the same. Not a speck of dust in sight. Every single room was cleaned to perfection, but no basement, no second floor. They cleared all the rooms and the last place was just the garage. Claire was so distraught, she trashed the entire kitchen before slamming open the garage door and she froze. She blocked the door so that Lydia couldn't come and that she couldn't see. The garage was redone to look like a basement. It had the pipings that you would see on like an unfinished uh, basement. Yeah. It was soundproofed. There were desks with computers and an entire wall was lined with shelves of tapes. There was a camera pointed to another wall that was exactly where the movies had been filmed. Lydia demanded Claire answer. What the hell is going on in there? The tapes are in there, aren't they? There's more tapes. How far do they go back? Let me see, get out of my way. No, I can't let you. And she's trying to close the door, but Lydia fights her, slams open the door, and Claire tries to grab at her leg, but it's too late. She knows exactly what Lydia's doing. Lydia is scanning the dates of the, of the tapes. March 4th, the day Julia went missing. It's on there. Lydia pulled it from the shelf and zoomed past Claire and threw it into the TV. Claire felt shocked and frozen. There was no way her husband had anything to do with Julia. There was just no way. She's thinking about all those nights that she cried herself to sleep and he was the only one that held her. He was the only one that listened to her. He was the only one that genuinely helped her get past Julia's disappearance. Lydia, there are some things that you can't unsee, please. But it was too late. The screen comes to life and there was Julia up on the wall, crying. The masked man entered the frame. Oh my God. And it sounds sick, but Claire was at least glad that the masked man was not a 15-year-old Paul. But still, this was her sister. The masked man sported a tattoo that signified the US Navy. Paul's dad had been in the Navy. Oh my God. And she watched as the masked man walked closer. Lydia, I can't do this. I can't stay here. I can't watch this. Claire ran out to the back and started throwing up everything. She could hear Julia sobbing in the living room. She could hear Lydia sobbing in the living room. She could hear Julia's screams filling the air. Claire knew that she needed to go back and pry her sister from the TV, but she couldn't move. She couldn't, fr she was frozen. She felt so useless. All she could do was let out these animalistic screams. Lydia ran out finally, tears streaming down. She was crying. She was so scared. 
and they held each other and cried. Why would they take her? Why would they choose her? Why did it have to be her? It should have been me. I was a fuck up. It should have been me. Claire tried to snap Lydia out of it and she started asking about the day that Dee was born. I can't, oh God, I can't think about that right now. Please, you have to, you have to help me. That's the only way you can help me, Lydia, please. And it helped take both of their minds off of what they just saw. And finally, they sat in silence and Claire formulated a plan. I'm gonna call them all. In case one of them is bad, I'm gonna call all of them. State Patrol, Sheriff's Office, GBI, FBI, Homeland Security, I'll call in a bomb threat. FBI, PETA, I don't fucking care. I'll tell the Secret Service that the homeowner is trying to kill the president. I'll call the news outlet so nobody can lie, nobody can cover anything up, I'll do it all. Do you think it's Paul's dad in the video, the masked man? Probably. But I didn't see his tattoo in the new tapes. I have to go back and I have to get Julia's tapes. I don't want hers to be a part of it when they all show up. You stay here and you call 911. Claire ran back into the garage and she's thinking, had Paul planned this? Five years after Julia disappeared, Paul appeared on campus and was wooing her. Did he know who she was? Did he stalk her too? Did he choose her before meeting her? She grabbed Julia's tapes when she froze. She heard someone calling her name behind her. She knew that voice. She turned around. There was Paul wearing his UGA hoodie and black jeans. It's me. I'm sorry. And he punched her in the face and she blacked out. Wait, what? Paul's alive. What the fuck? Julia's dad realized that Paul was involved. Ben Carver, the serial killer, helped him form the connection. Sam just thought he didn't like his daughter's new boyfriend, you know? He just thought, I don't like Claire's new boyfriend. He was arrogant, easily bored, too smart for his own good. The kind that felt like they knew everything worth knowing. But it wasn't, it wasn't that though, that he didn't like. It was the way that he touched Claire. It wasn't just regular PDA, but it's almost, he always had this possessive hand on Claire all the time. Claire didn't even notice. It was so unsettling. But what was scarier was how deep Claire was in love with this guy. It was terrifying. She had chosen the wrong man. And as parents, they could do nothing to stop her. So Sam sat there politely and listened to Paul share his life story about how his parents had tragically died in an accident a full year after Julia disappeared. And right there it clicked. Remember the suspect's names were redacted? On the police files? Well, their descriptions were not. One read, redacted, Peeping Tom took images of women in various stages of undress. Seasonal gardener for UGA grounds. Farmer, targets older attractive females deceased in car accident. Wife also deceased. 16-year-old son in boarding school in Alabama. Ben Carver said images. Peeping Tom took images of these women. Mm. Was a suspect and Paul was saying that his parents died. He was a student at Auburn. Mm -hmm. The man, a suspect, Peeping Tom, that son, was Julia's little sister's new boyfriend. Claire woke up relatively comfortable for someone who had just had their lights knocked out. Paul had put a pillow under her head and her shoes were off. It's as if she fell asleep on the living room floor for funsies. She jerked up. Lydia? Paul? How the hell was he alive? This felt like a sick joke. She frantically searched every inch of the house and Lydia and Paul were both gone. Paul had taken her, just like his father had taken Julia. Right then, the phone started to ring, the landline. She knew who it was. Are you feeling okay? Where is she? She's safe, answer my question. How would I ever be okay, you fucking piece of shit? Look up. 
Claire looked up to see a small air freshener, but it was a camera. There's more all around the house, Claire. Claire realized now why she had never had her own file. He didn't need one. He had hidden cameras all over their house too. She was watched by him nonstop. He didn't need a PI. She confronted him about his dad killing Julia. Paul sounded tired. He told her to check Lydia's phone that he had left charging in the living room. She clicked it open, Lydia's phone, and there was a picture of Lydia in the trunk, tied up, blood dripping from her head, but still alive. Claire threatened to kill Paul. She sees a car pull up though, the sheriff, but not just any sheriff. Guess who the sheriff of Athens is? Sheriff Huckabee, the same sheriff that worked on Julia's case. This is his jurisdiction because she went missing in Athens. But he's a lot older now, but still. Yeah, anyway. Because remember, Lydia called the cops. The cops are here. Get rid of him or else Lydia dies. And don't hang up. Claire had other plans. She hung up, opened the door, and Sheriff Huckabee looked startled to see her, but also kind of curious. It was so random. My husband owned this home. He passed away recently, so I... So you ransacked it? She looks behind her at the kitchen that she destroyed. Hmm. <laughs> Why are you here? Emergency call? Was that you? Pair accident. Sorry for wasting your time, Sheriff. What's your husband's name again? Paul Scott. The home is in a trust. Did you know him? My husband? I knew his parents. Good people. And you're sure they're dead? Fortunately, I saw it with my own two eyes, or at least what was left of them after the car accident. I know what happened to my sister, Sheriff. Your mom told you. She made me promise not to tell you girls. I always wondered that those tapes would get on the internet or something. What? She's just throwing out feelers. Yeah. How did you find out about it? Your father, when he died, his TV was playing one of those tapes. We turned the tape into a buddy that I had at the FBI back in that day, and we always wondered if there were more copies out there. I guess, yeah, there are. The masked man in the video was part of some ring that made and distributed these videos, but they caught the guy. His name is Daryl Lasseter. He was in, caught in California back in 1994 for trying to kidnap more girls. Claire was confused now. Was her father-in-law just some weird tape collector or was he part of it? But you have nothing to worry about. Lasseter died in prison. The sheriff stated that he had no idea how Sam, her dad, even got a hold of those tapes, but he did, and he made sure the cops found it when he died because it was playing on his TV. The only reason that they did not go public with what happened to Julia was because their mom begged them not to. She did not want their girls to know the truth of what happened. Oh, sheriff Huckabee, the buddy at the FBI that you handed the tapes to? It was Johnny Jackson, wasn't it? He nodded. Johnny Jackson was an FBI agent before entering into politics. He became a congressman, and he was the man that would give Quinn and Scott, the firm, millions, sometimes billions worth of government contracts. He was Paul's little buddy slash investor. He was my husband's uncle on my mom's side. Anyway, I should get going. Thanks, Sheriff. And she slammed the door shut. And the husband's still on the phone right now, Paul? Yeah. Well, she hung up on him, so he calls back and she talks to him. She accused him of giving the tapes to her dad, leading to his death, but he refuted it. He passionately told her that he loved her father. He would never do anything like that. Paul said it hurt him to know that the full story of what happened to Julia and what his dad did to her, but he could never tell Claire that. He had to protect his dad in the end, and Claire would leave him if she knew the truth, and it would hurt her. Wait, he's saying that right now? Yeah. 
Wait, what? He said that he had no choice but to fake his death and he did this to all keep her safe, which is wild. And she screams, you knocked me out and kidnapped my sister. I don't fucking feel very safe. I tried to be gentle, but Claire, I need the key. The keychain to the Tesla. The one with the USB that she gave to Adam, remember? That he had slipped into her hand before the whole alleyway situation? So confused now. Why? I knew you would keep it safe. Can I get it, please? Claire did not want to tell him that she gave it to Adam. The keychain was the only power that she had over Paul right now, and she needed her sister back in exchange for this keychain. Whatever was on that keychain, she thought it was empty. Apparently not, okay? She lied and said the police took it as evidence. She could hear Paul get pissed off. Well, Claire, I need you to get it back. Then promise me you won't hurt Lydia. Paul informs her that there are cameras all over the house and if she does anything, if she calls anyone, he will kill Lydia. He wants to call the landline every 20 minutes for the next two hours and this is going to help ensure that Claire stays in the house where he can watch her and he can get further away from her. And then he'll tell her what his next plan is and how she's going to get the keychain to him. But before he hung up, he told Claire that they would get through this. And disgustingly, Claire hated it, but for a second, it calmed her. She desperately wanted him to make it better because that's what he always did. And he told her, I didn't know what my dad was doing until after he passed. I went into the barn and I found all the tapes and all the stuff and tuition was due and all I knew was I could make copies and send them out like he did so I could just pay the bills. Wait, I'm so confused. So he's saying that he found these tapes after his dad died and he became a distributor just so he could pay bills. So who's... Oh, that's what Claire says. But the new movies on your computer aren't old. Yeah. I was just a distributor. I never participated. There's a whole ring of people doing it, making them. And then there's a whole ring of distributors. Who's the masked man then? Just a guy. You're safe, Claire. You'll always be safe and I'll make sure of that. What's on the USB? Why do you need it? I just do, okay? I'm trying to protect you, Claire. You are my everything. The people involved in this stuff, they're powerful, they have money, they have influence, and I need to protect you. Yeah, well, if you hurt Lydia, I will hunt you down and burn you to the fucking ground, do you understand? And in the end, he whispers, God, I love it when you talk like that. And he hangs up. Ah, what's going on right now? What's going on right now? So for the next two hours, basically, she's a sitting duck. Meanwhile, Lydia's trying to punch her way out of the trunk, like, you know, the headlights or whatever. But uh, everything she could think of, Paul had already made sure that it wasn't feasible. The forker was already 1,000 steps ahead of her. And if the only person that could save her now was fucking Claire, she was as good as dead. Lydia loves her sister, but not like that, okay? Lydia could not get the images of Julia's tapes out of her mind. There were six of them, which means that Paul's dad took his time with her. At one point, she saw Julia look straight into the camera and whisper, Help. Meanwhile, Claire found herself back in the garage with all the files. How could he produce these kinds of films, distribute them, or whatever the fuck he did, okay? Did the violence kill his brain? Was he desensitized to it? Claire thought about all the private jet and hotel charges. She thought it was for the congressman, Congressman Jackson. Paul was too smart to just abduct girls in his backyard. Maybe he moved poor girls all around the country. Maybe the congressman was involved. I mean, because there had to have been an adult that took over when Paul's parents died. He was just 15. There was no way. Someone had to teach him the ropes. Someone had to, had to mentor him. Congressman Jackson's body might fit the bill for the masked man. Both Adam and Paul were too lean and too tall. 
She went over to the garage computer and she uncovered something terrifying. Well, a few things. Sheriff Huckabee must be in on it because when she Googled Daryl Lasseter, the guy that he claimed was the one that made the films, The Masked Man, yeah, well, he was black, okay? The man in the movies, the torture videos, was clearly white. So, freaking liar. Mm. And there were three folders, raw, edited, delivered. She clicked on the delivered. She knew these videos. These were the ones that she saw, the five minute clips, the edited ones. And then she clicked on edited, more, hundreds of five minute clips. And then she screamed. She didn't even know it was her voice that she was screaming. She had clicked the unedited one. Uh -huh. And staring at her on the screen was three moles on the left shoulder blade. It was Paul. He had edited the videos to make it not look like him. He was the masked man. Oh, he, he... He edited the moles out and made his, like, figure look a little distorted. Oh. Not only that, in the edited videos, you never hear the masked man talk. But she played it, the one with Anna Kilpatrick. He walks over to her, and in the same southern drawl, he says, Tell me you want this. She freaked out when he called again, okay? He knew that she had lied about the USB being in police custody. So she said that it was in a safety deposit box at the bank. So she had it hidden. On the phone, she made him promise that he had nothing to do with the actual making of the videos, that he was not the masked man. And the way he said that he wasn't was so sincere, it almost made her believe him. But she was staring straight at the unedited videos. Julia's dad wrote a lot before his death. Even though he suffered a stroke a month before he died and had a hard time writing, he still wrote. He still wrote to Julia to tell her what was going on. He felt confident that once he exposed the truth, the family could move on. Helen would come back to him, they would get remarried, and that was the only way. The truth would set them free. And the truth was, the Scots were involved somehow. That's what he knew. Paul yeah. Scott, yeah. Okay, Scott. Now, he writes that he needs to do this soon because Paul is going to come over soon and ask for Claire's hand in marriage. He could feel it. But he also knew that Paul was not the type of man that wanted to marry a woman. He was the type of man that wanted to own and control a woman. But that's okay. Because when he comes over, Sam is determined to make sure that he will have no ability to lie. He will answer every question until he gets all the answers that he needs and Claire will leave him. Sam is plotting something against Paul, something big. Meanwhile, Claire tells Paul that she's had enough of his games and if he wants a USB, he's going to start playing ball. She wants a picture of Lydia alive every 20 minutes, a new one, and she would let him know what her plans were. Claire had no idea how she was going to save Lydia. I mean, everyone seemed to be in on it. Captain Huckabee, Congressman, Fred Nolan, FBI, everyone. And her husband was the masked fucking man, okay? Claire did not have a strong plan, but she knew that she needed backup. So she drove straight to Lydia's house and prayed that nobody was home. Dee was probably... I don't know, hanging out with Rick or doing something. Either way, she parks her car and as discreetly as possible, like a little raccoon, goes up to the porch, digs up a Ziploc bag. Got it. A gun, that's her backup. Unfortunately, no bullets, but that's gonna be easier to acquire. She didn't have the details laid out, but the general just was, she was gonna save Lydia and ba-ba, shoot Paul in the knee. I don't know, she had a thing for knees, okay? She just like wanted to blast his knee off. She grabs the gun and she starts sneaking off and she hears a noise behind her. Can I help you? I'm sorry, I am Claire Scott. I'm Lydia's sister. Claire wanted so desperately to tell Rick everything because finally someone could help her, he could save her, he could help save Lydia. 
just like how Paul always saved her. But she knew that Lydia would never forgive her for getting Rick involved. She would never want Rick involved in something like this. Or so, maybe Rick's evil too. Who knows? <laughs> Can't trust nobody here. So she lied and told Rick that Lydia didn't want to see him. She had relapsed. He looked devastated, but she ran off with the gun before he could try talking. I mean, he got the message. Lydia did not relapse. Something very bad was happening and it was all Claire's fault, but she gave him one final warning before driving off. Don't call the cops. They're not gonna help. They're involved. So we're the FBI. Take D and go somewhere far from here till we get back. That's all Lydia wants. Just go. And with that, Claire drives off. She was trying to make it to Adams to get the USB, but before she made it home, she was pulled over courtesy of Fred Nolan, FBI. An agent had pulled oh, her over. She was brought God. into an interrogation room where she would be questioned for close to 11 hours, losing contact with Lydia for 11 precious hours. The only person that she had a chance to call was her mom. Helen, the same mom who checked out after Julia died, or checked out after Julia disappeared, the one that knew Julia was dead but hid it from her daughters, that mom. Fred Nolan revealed to Claire during the questioning that he kept pondering all the curiosities of Paul's case, you know? What is that? What's so curious? First, that your husband embezzled $3 million when he's already so well off, and why Adam Quinn, a friend since his early college days, would call the FBI on his own firm partner rather than handle it quietly. It wouldn't even be good for business, don't you think? Your company that makes zillions of dollars and your husband could easily pay it off, and more, why would he get the FBI involved to go through all their financials? What are you telling me this for? You know we arrested your husband. I guess he didn't tell you that. We went straight into his office, marched him down in handcuffs. Did you check his computer? What a fascinating question to ask the FBI. Wait, he's saying they just did? No. This was back before he died. Mm. I just said, did you check his computer? Mm. What a fascinating question to ask. Mm -hmm. Yes, we checked it. This was confirmation to Claire that there was no way Adam was involved. He would never call the FBI knowing what Paul had on his computer if he was involved. Too much risk. You would never want to draw attention to yourself like that. Did Paul slip you something before he died? Are you trying to ask me if we were trying to have sex in the alleyway? Yeah, I guess he was trying to slip me something. He's alive. You know that, right? Your husband is alive. What? Claire does her best to act shocked, but she knows it's not working. FBI agent Nolan tells her that Paul planned his death with the help of the FBI. What the fuck? And why would the FBI help Paul when he is such a big bad guy that steals $3 million from his own company? Mrs. Scott, your husband got mixed in with some very, very bad people. He has to go into witness protection in order to testify at trial. My bosses like the idea taped him up with squibs, fake blood. He was the one that suggested it happen when you were there. It was actually part of the deal. He wanted you to witness it. <laughs> but the paramedics, the cops, all undercover agents. Claire couldn't understand. I mean, yeah, she knew the guy wasn't dead. She had a raging headache courtesy of her husband's punch. But what the hell, the FBI helped? Nolan explains that Paul got caught up on some bad, bad things and the only reason he was getting off with easier time and going into witness protection was because he was gonna testify against a worse guy. And he explains that's how it works in the FBI. You get caught, but you give us bigger fish, we'll take the big fish. Claire could put two and two together. 
Paul got busted for the videos. He tried to play it off that he was just a distributor and he could lead them to the one producing the videos, the masked man. The FBI could have the masked man and Paul would get to testify during the trial. That's the story he would have sold them. That's the one he was trying to sell her right now. Nolan also told her that Paul promised a USB drive with the identity of the biggest players involved in the operation. That USB is now gone and they want it. They believe that Claire has it. Side note, the reason that Fred Nolan has a black eye was because after faking his death, Paul punched Fred in the face and got away. So he's on the fucking run. Finally, after hours and hours of this, there was a knock on the door. Helen and the family attorney were able to track them down. Authorities had refused to give up Claire's location all this time, and Claire was now free to go. But before she did, she turned to FBI agent Nolan and said, you're not asking the right questions. You know that, right? Wait, so you're telling me FBI plotted all this and they still got played? Yeah, but the way it's written in the book, I'm like summarizing it so it oh. makes it sound simple, oh. but it was like really intricate in the book. Oh, like Paul planned it really yeah, well. Yeah, there was like a whole intricate backstory, but it would take... The book is like 600 pages, you guys. Got yeah. it. So he wanted the FBI agents to fake his death mm -hmm. and then he had already planned how to get away from them. Yeah, and then I guess like they very underestimated him because he's like, you know, yeah, 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 he's involved in bad stuff, but he's like this geeky like architect uh, dude, right? Uh -huh. He's not like a macho, like I'm gonna fucking beat you up, dude. Uh -huh. Yeah, so he's like, tell me what I should ask. Paul didn't give you the information you wanted. So his life shouldn't be in danger. Meaning if you snitch, your life is in danger from these powerful people that you just snitched on. But he didn't snitch. So he should be on a beach somewhere. Why would he stick around? Claire ran out with her mom and Lydia's phone buzzed. She took it out and there was a photo of Lydia and she looked worse. She looked like she'd been through some shit, okay? And let me tell you what she's been through, it's wild. All the while, Lydia woke up with a hood over her face being waterboarded by urine. I'm dead serious, I'm not even making this up, okay? She was being tortured, she had no idea where she was. She assumed somewhere in a cabin, she could hear birds and leaves rustling. She was tortured with pee, and the more Lydia realized she could not depend on Claire. It had to be herself that got her out of this. And she was even more pissed to find out that Claire didn't realize that her phone was bugged and Paul was tracking her to Lydia's home, and she had no idea that Claire didn't tell Rick what happened. Instead, she cursed at Claire for somehow getting Rick involved, and now she was gonna die, and Rick was gonna fucking die, and they were all gonna fucking die. Also, Paul said he can't wait to do what happened to Anna Kilpatrick and the others to Lydia's teenage daughter. Oh, Lord. And he said, she looks just like Julia. Paul explains in great detail how much fun he had taking Claire away from her. He said Claire was special, is special. Every time I thought I figured out Claire, she surprised me. <laughs> okay, get this. I was sitting in a meeting one day, and I get a call. Automated, recorded message asking if I wanted to speak to an inmate. I couldn't believe it. Claire was on the other line, normal as ever. Hey babe, how's your day? How's work? Never mentioning jail. And I said, sweetie, the automated message says that you're in jail. Oh yeah, I got here like an hour ago. For what? Oh, I didn't have enough money to pay the hookers, so they called the cops. Can you believe it? She's just so, she's fucking something. Lydia wanted to throw up, but he wasn't wrong. Claire was special. She was, um, like, she's not very predictable. Like, she always, you, when you think that you knew what she was going to do, she just became very unpredictable. Paul went on to explain a few more things 
that he watched Julia die. He and his dad thought it was hilarious that their mom was out searching in part of the volunteer party. So apparently Paul's mom had nothing to do with this, had no idea what was going on. She was like helping look for the poor girl, Julia. Meanwhile, she was in the barn. Julia was tortured for 12 days. Dad kept her alive for me to come home from spring break. He went on to tell her in great detail the disgusting things they did to Julia, and he took joy in watching Lydia throwing up. Paul ripped off her hood, and she adjusted her eyes and realized that she had been tricked. They weren't in a cabin in the woods. They were back in the murder house. I knew it. Back in the garage, the one that Claire had just left. And he's playing audios, right? Yeah. Yeah. Claire asks her mom to move the Tesla to the Marriott Hotel, visit her parking. She would meet up with her there, but she had a couple of things she wanted to get done first. Claire gets on the phone with Paul, and he's upset that she was taken in, and she's upset that he's even upset to begin with. She just wants her goddamn sister back. She lies and tells him that the USB is in a security deposit box at the local bank, but they don't open for another two hours, 9 a.m., so she's got to wait. And he tells her, okay, no funny business. Get that key and bring it straight to the address that I send. I'll meet you there. Or else. Paul also tells her that he had to come back for her. That's why he's here. Her and the USB drive. He loves her, he says. He lets her talk on the phone briefly with Lydia, but Lydia is like ready to die. She tells Claire, it's okay, I forgive you. And Claire's like, don't say that. Don't say that right now. I'm coming. I'm going to bring the USB and you're going to be fine. Meanwhile, Paul hangs up and electrocutes Lydia again with a cow thingy. Jesus, wait, where's Adam? Adam is at home, not picking up the phone. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah, what was I saying? Oh yeah, Paul is like, I kept all your dad's letters, you know? He would have been a great grandfather. I loved him, your dad. He reminded me of my dad. Lydia wanted to scream. I gotta say though, my dad pissed me off when I got back from spring break. Found your sister in the barn or what was left of her, right? She wasn't much fun anymore, but enough about my dad. Your dad was smart, really smart. Trust me, he would never have found Julia's body, but he was on to me, I'll give him that. He knew that my dad was somehow involved. Did you know that? Did you know that your dad knew that? Lydia was numb. She didn't even feel shock anymore. He asked me to come see him the day that he died, you know? He thought that he was gonna trick me, tie me up, make me confess to things I didn't want to confess to. Shut up, you monster. Oh, there you are. I thought you were going numb on me. I drugged him. Vodka, sleeping pills. Then I tied him up with bed sheets so there would be no markings left behind. And I wish I had more time with your father. I had a lot of videos I wanted him to watch. But I only had time to show him maybe one, two, three. But he was screaming too much and I was worried about the neighbors. So I had to, you know. Paul had just confessed to Lydia that he was the one responsible for her father's death. He killed him. Lydia wanted to scream. She wanted to kill him, but she felt numb. But Claire, Claire felt all the panic and pain. She was freaking out. She tells her mom that she has a plan. Side note, her mom doesn't really know what the hell is going on. She knows that Julia is dead. She knows that maybe Claire knows that Julia is dead, but she has no idea that Paul is still alive. She just knows that he maybe embezzled some money and that Claire is clearly in trouble. But Claire tells Helen, in 30 minutes, I need you to take Lydia's phone, drive to the bank, take this phone. I need you to make it seem like I am going to the bank, okay? The Wells Fargo, park the car there and stay until I call you. 
Helen was nervous, but she said she would do exactly as she was told. Claire set up call forwarding on Lydia's phone so that if someone called Lydia, it would be transferred to Claire's phone instead. Her mom listened intently, and she looked like the woman before Julia went missing. The woman who was sharp and was mm. there for her daughters and would do anything for them. So she's finally getting it together once. Now that Claire is in The trouble. climax. Yeah. Meanwhile, Claire walks into the firm that just opened, Adam and her husband's firm. Well, ex-husband, dead husband. Well, dead but not dead husband. You get it. She needed that USB. She was able to get it back from Adam, who already took the files. He had no idea there were other files in there. Claire didn't even really know what was on there. She needed to find out. She went through every single inch of that USB until she found a password-protected folder that looked like it was... You know how each USB comes with like a manual or something? Yeah. It was password-protected. She never opened it because who the fuck opens the manual? Oh, side note, Adam tells her why Paul embezzled the $3 million. They cheated three times. Paul stole $1 million for every time Adam fucked Claire. So there you have it. It was never about the money. What the fuck is it about? Just, you fucked my wife, so I'm charging you, basically. But he don't need money. <laughs> yeah. Okay, whatever. Yeah. That's so, weird. Anyway, I mean, they made it, like, it all made sense. It was, like, a whole power play. They were already, like, tense because Paul was becoming more and more controlling for some reason mm -hmm. as time went on, and they were having all of the... They were just butting heads on the direction of the firm. Mm -hmm. And then he embezzled $3 million. Adam called the FBI in a fit of anger. Even his wife was like, you're overboarding it. Like, you're literally shooting your own foot by doing this to your firm. But he called the FBI in a fit of anger because I guess he has no temper control. And then the FBI came, and then Paul was like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking tell your wife why I embezzled that $3 million, basically. And then he was like, okay, I'm gonna pay it back and I will settle the case outside of court. But the FBI already found the files on his computer. What the fuck? So, That's so anyway, crazy. Claire. So Adam's innocent. He yeah. doesn't know what the hell's going on. Claire takes Paul's laptop that was left in his office at the firm and plugs in the USB drive and she gets in the password. This password, even if she had tried it when she first had the USB, before she gave it to Adam, she wouldn't have known what the password was. Because things were simpler then. It was the day it all started. The day her sister went missing. It opened, and there it was. 16 spreadsheets, names, emails, addresses, bank information, members since, client list. 800-something men from all over the world. <gasps> then one last file. Pictures upon pictures. Blackmail. Proof, whatever you want to call it. Congressman Jackson standing inside the barn, posing with a body that was suspended in the air. They were tying girls up like deer and posing with them like trophies, hunting trophies. A lot of these men were unclothed from the waist down and blood was smeared all over their private parts because that's how bad the torture was. Sheriff Huckabee was there in a picture and the girl hanging in his picture Julia, this the bastard, investigated her case. He knew all along what happened to her. He participated in what happened to her. How could he look the family in the eye and tell them that she probably ran away? Oh my God. She created an anonymous email account, entered in the emails of every single news outlet, congressmen, local officers, anyone of importance, attached all the files and had it scheduled to go out in two hours. She hopped back in her mom's car and, um, she realized that Helen had left in the passenger seat the gun and she had loaded it with bullets for her. Her mom was back. Oh. Yeah. 
She knew Claire was in trouble. She didn't ask questions, but she wanted her daughter to be prepared. Claire started racing back to the childhood home of Paul's. This is where he said he was heading, acting as if he wasn't already there. She guessed that he had always been there because Paul was, and I quote, a slave for routine. He used the same bowl for his breakfast, same coffee cup. He needed familiarity. He had to have been there. On the way there, Claire stops and picks up containers of gasoline. She had a fire blanket in the back of the Tesla, always prepared, thanks to fucking Paul, motherfucker. And now she was ready. She was gonna light this bitch on fire, get him to come out. She would shoot him dead, run in into the burning house with the fire blanket, get Lydia out. She doused herself in four bottles of water. Was this a good idea? It was also kind of raining outside. Was this a good idea? Absolutely not, but Claire was running on like two hours of sleep in the past four days and she couldn't think of a better plan. And the only thing that Paul was scared of was fire. She needed to get him out of the house away from Lydia. Something that would make him so panicked he wouldn't bring out Lydia and like put a knife to her and be like, put that, give me the USB, you know? She starts pouring gasoline all around the perimeter of the house and lit the whole thing into flames. She walked up to Paul's car. It was cold. So he had been here. She calls him. And um, the fire is slowly burning. I know it's you in the videos, Paul. I know you're the masked man. And I know it's on the USB. The pictures, the client list. I know. I saw it all. Fuck Claire, what did you do? Did you just set the house on fire? She could see him through the window, looking up. When she didn't answer, she saw him run out the back and she had the gun in her hand. But she couldn't shoot. Why? At the end of the day, this was her husband. Please, really? Claire, Lydia is fine, Claire. Put the gun down. Look, the fire won't stay subdued for long. Go ahead and give me the USB drive. I can leave, you can go inside and grab Lydia. And in a moment of weakness, Claire and Paul kissed and they like really started making out. What? And boom, blood splattered everywhere. Paul was on the ground. His kneecap had basically been shattered and disintegrated. She had shot him in the fucking knee. I told you she had a thing for knees, okay? Wait for me, babe. And she smiled and ran inside with the fire blanket into the garage to save Lydia. She untied Lydia. They were able to dig a hole through the drywall to the outside. Listen, don't ask me how they did it. The book <laughs> explains it really well. I'm like, I don't fucking know construction, okay? And before the fire engulfed the entire place, they were throwing out all the tapes that they could manage to grab. Hopefully it would give some of the family's closure or rest, answers, something. But soon enough, the entire home was engulfed in flames. Claire was filled with rage though. Lydia had never seen her sister like that. She ran to the back and Lydia's trying to limp and follow cause she's been like fucked up a okay, for the past like two days. Lydia recognizes the gun in her sister's hand. That's my gun. Uh -oh. She saw Paul on the ground in the, and he's crawling away, shaking his head. Claire, you gotta call an ambulance, please, babe. Please. You're a lying piece of shit. Where's Julia? Where is she? Claire, you need to get me help. Okay, honey, this is very serious. Tell me where my sister is. Lydia crouched down and stuck her hand into his gaping wound until she hit the bone and she dug. And he's like screaming animalistic screams. Tell us where Julia is. Claire watched. If he still doesn't talk, we could patch him up and make him last longer. I still have gasoline, we could always burn him alive. Lydia is like hands deep inside of Paul's bones, but she's looking at her sister like, what are you saying? You're like a psychopath. Oh, okay. What are you saying right now? Paul tried to reason with Claire. Just look at me, Claire. Claire, please look at me. You were the only one that I ever loved. You were the only normal thing in my life. Please, I love you. You have to see that. I was never going to leave you. Please. 
Claire shot him, like grazed his neck. So he's like blood splurting out of his neck, but he's not dead. And she straddles him, literally gets on top of him, pins his arms down so that he can't try to stop the blood flow and stares him in the eyes while she watches the life drain out of him. And Lydia's just sitting in the wet grass, shocked at her sister, because first of all, she doesn't even know who this woman is. And second of all, should she be letting this happen? Because this is not something that you mentally come back from, like killing someone like that. Mm. But she couldn't stop it. Once he was dead, Claire screamed at Lydia. She's in the well. There was a well on the property. I painted it into the painting. It's included in the city documents. We gotta go. They run like, Towards the know? back of the woods, she just had a good feeling. What? Because the well wasn't being used. And it's like a short little well. Mm -hmm. So they like are elbows deep. They're digging, digging, digging. And they pull out a locket. The locket had an L on it. Julia liked to steal Lydia's jewelry all the time. And right at the same time that they found her and they sobbed in the rain, the email went out. A global torture ring had been exposed. The investigators found various other women from other countries had disappeared under similar circumstances. Paul found a way to franchise the business. Other horrible people were masked men in different countries. They would give him the footage, who he would sell to his list of clients, and give them commission on their videos. He would also produce his own videos. He was easily making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, all poured into offshore accounts. All of that was seized by authorities, except his $20 million life insurance, which Claire got. Um, it's Probably she'll get more of the money, probably not hundreds of millions of dollars, but the money that can directly be tracked from his architectural firm to, yeah. Side note, she killed him in self-defense. Nobody questioned it once they realized what Paul had done and his connections. Even police were scared to question it because it looked like they were on Paul's side then, <laughs> okay? Yeah. After this, Claire and Helen were both introduced to D. Lydia finally let Rick move in after 20 years. And as for the evil people, they were all being taken down one by one. Arrested, thrown in prison, and outrage was running everywhere. And as for Claire, two things. She liked her new family. She liked being a part of Lydia and Dee's life. But she was suspicious of Rick, you know what I mean? She yeah. Know. Yeah, of course. But she was also going to move on. She's also what? Going to move on. Mm. She was going on a date with Fred Nolan. Fred Nolan? He was an asshole, but at least she knew what she was getting with him. And he was one of the few investigators that genuinely wanted justice and wanted to bring an end to the torture ring. And after 20 years, they finally put Julia to rest. And that is Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter. Oh, bro. What do you think of the book? Rate it. It's good. It's good. It's tense. It's serious. It's dark. It's twisted. It's... It's good. It's, so good. it's good. It's yeah. too good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Wow. I was like halfway through. I'm like, man, how are they going to tie it all up together? Because, mm -hmm. man, this is getting crazy. Yeah. But you know what's crazy? That was my thing that I talked about in the last episode is that I don't really like when the ending gets too crazy or when the plot gets so unbelievable, it's ridiculous. Yeah. This was that, but the characters were so well developed. Mm. Everything felt, for some reason, it just made sense. Yeah, it doesn't feel like yeah. so out of this world. Yeah, it felt like I could see the mental journey that this character took and why they did each action. Yeah. It didn't feel like out of nowhere, this girl's just a serial killer. 
You know, it's very much like, yeah. okay, I can And it see. wasn't too annoying. Like, the fact that she kissed him, at first I was like, no, yeah. don't be like that. No, but if you read it, yeah. even the kiss, the way that it's, like, described. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for a moment, she's like, this is her safe space. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's not. No, it's you know, good. It's, like, so good. Yeah. And I think that she really captures the betrayal really well. And I think mm-hmm. what people would genuinely go through... Not maybe on this level, but just the feeling of like betrayal and this person, your loved one is coming back and he was this comfort place for you and you're like so torn. You want things to go back to how they were. Mm -hmm. You want him to be your comfort person again, but they like cannot go back. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still feel suspicious of you? (laughs) Absolutely. Give me your phone right now. We will go through it together on camera. Question. Yeah. Why is he keeping all his videos like so publicly? I think that was like his thing. She just... Oh, he just had truly didn't think she will find it. Yeah. But then maybe it's the best hiding spot is not hidden. Because Claire yeah. really wasn't the type of woman to go on his computer and click his work file. Yeah. Have you checked my work file? <laughs> oh my god! That's it for today's video. Let me know in the comments what are your thoughts and what do you guys want me to read next? And make sure to check out Pretty Girls and Karen Slaughter, all linked in the description.